0: Hey everyone, this is David Nelson, the pastoral resident here at Trinity City Church. Today I'm going to be talking with Pastor Brian about our bylaw updates and what that means for the church moving forward. Take a listen. Alright Brian, so today we're talking about the bylaws. Um, Why don't we start off with the obvious question of what in the world is a bylaws and what purpose do bylaws serve?
1: bylaws in this case would assume a constitution so we have a constitution and bylaws uh so the bylaws unpack more of the specifics of what's laid out already in the constitution and they tell us how to govern our church essentially um and yeah if it's in the bylaws it's it's a document that says we all agree this is how our church should be governed these are the things that are essential to our church as an institution and we're going to follow these things Um, so it's a tool of accountability it's a tool that provides um, guidance and clarity
0: on on how to do um, church and and how often do bylaws actually get updated like what what version are we on at this point in time do you know
1: um, yeah, we've done small updates, um, throughout the last 12 years and yeah, we've had several, uh, amendments to the bylaws, but nothing as, as comprehensive as this, mm. even though nothing's uh, changing, um, foundationally about how we govern Trinity, we've had more updates in this round of bylaws,
0: uh, than we've had in the past. Mm. Now, one of those updates that uh, you see right away is this uh, change in a lot of different terminology. One I specifically wanted to ask about was this idea of the, the Council of Elders. Yeah. So can you explain that updated language particularly about that phrase?
1: Sure. The, the idea behind updating that language is the bylaws and the Constitution are formal document so even before this you would see language um, instead of using will we're okay using shall mm-hmm. which in common vernacular not many times we would probably use uh, you shall do this uh, so it's a formal document with formal language and so we used to have the word team there instead uh, so there's a desire to use language that's a little bit more timeless, a little bit more formal, and especially that's tied um, closer to language that's historically been used in church governance and even even scripture as well.
0: Mm. Now, one of those old words that did get put in the bylaws that I know you said you put a lot of thought and effort to is this idea of the diaconate versus mm-hmm. the deaconess and right. deacon, so Can you talk through that process of how that got updated and changed?
1: Absolutely. Um, Deacons is a church office that isn't as clearly defined in the scriptures as something like an elder would be. And because of that, and throughout church history, um, different churches and denominations have had different approaches to uh, deacons. Uh, Diaconet is just a fancy word to, to refer to it. Uh, the ministry rather than deacon team so it's just a and again that's another example of a very historical old term that we're using and so under the umbrella of that ministry that has always generally been defined as a serving office in the church so this is a a group of church leaders under the guidance of the elders who and the elders are the ruling uh, body of the church that they implement that vision for the church in specific areas of ministry. And so what the bylaws are gonna do, it, it, it talks about deacons like we've done in the past, we've added a section clarifying deaconess ministry, uh, which is something that we've, we've practiced within the bylaws before, um, and we were within bounds practicing it this way, but it's clarifying more on how this distinct ministry within the diaconate is unique and effectively um, the other little change that we we had for the diaconate is the ability to have a deacon who serves in a parachurch ministry Mm -hmm. as well so they wouldn't necessarily be serving in a specific ministry in our church but could come under the authority of our church through this church office for accountability care commissioning uh, and and hold a church office uh, in addition to their Parachurch church ministry responsibilities. So the way I think about it is the diaconate now would include three different types of serving ministries within it. It would include our congregational ministry, which is how our, our deacons have functioned throughout our history as a church. It would include the deaconess ministry, and that's a Titus II spiritual mother ministry of women. And then there would be a um, parachurch ministry deacons, and these are deacons that, don't necessarily oversee a ministry in the church, but is a ministry to churches like across denominations, across local churches, mm. and so on. So, yeah, that's the big change for that office. Okay,
0: okay. And one of the things that I saw that got added to specifically the deaconess role mm-hmm. was their input when it comes to assessing elders. Yes. So can you talk through that a little bit? I saw that was an addition to the bylaws. Was- it is,
1: and that that reflects a, a practice that we have... Um, done now for several years the bylaws don't require us to do that in the current process but uh, the current elders have greatly benefited from the voice of these Titus II women in our church and the deaconess ministry and we said that rather than having it at a policy level which is what it is right now and policies are easier to change if it's in the bylaws it means that doesn't matter if I'm here or somebody else if there's leadership change it's requiring us to make that part of our process unless we change the bylaws again. And so that was important to us because um, having their voice and their assessment in the process was incredibly valuable uh, because uh, we have congregational reviews so we have that part of it as well, but it's, it's good not only to have a, like a fatherly office like the current elders to assess a candidate, But having this motherly office also give the perspective in that assessment because, yeah, it just would not be a good idea um, if our deaconesses would say, hey, we have reservations about this candidate.
0: And in that case, we probably wouldn't even present the candidate to Mm -hmm. the congregation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so speaking of voting things, um, one of the changes that I saw in multiple spots was they switched from unanimous voting to three-fourths voting. Um, Can you talk through those things a little bit and and where that shows up? Yeah, it
1: mainly shows up with the elder um, council and the requirements, the threshold that they would have to meet on certain things. We kept that threshold for, for example, uh, changing the confessional or doctrinal statements of our church. So that still requires a unanimous vote. That's just one of those things that you want to make it incredibly difficult to change because uh, especially the documents that we affirm, they tend to be very timeless uh, doctrinal statements that a lot of different denominations agree on. Uh, But uh, the reason we changed it in other areas was uh, it's more of a polity reality that if you have a unanimous voting threshold for something, that it actually gives a, a lot of power to like a, maybe even just a single person on your council. Uh, so you could have, you say, like a, a council, a elder council of 10 people, nine folks want to, you know, firm this church leader, move forward with this decision, but the requirement's unanimous, but you still have this one person that says, no, absolutely not. In that scenario, it actually gives a lot of power to one person. So it's actually, ironically, a way to uh, distribute kind of voting power a little bit better. Mm. But one thing to keep in mind that if it's a small team, like now we have uh, three elders, uh, well, and if it's a, for example, like a 75% threshold, which is what most of them are changed to, well, 75% of three people is. Three people, yeah. They would, but if you get to yeah. four, that's a good yeah. example where three can be in agreement and you yeah. can have one person in dissent, and that's still a pretty high threshold. But then it it takes away that one person having a lot of power just to strike things down.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. So one of the things that happened early on, and now to shift focus to me because you know that's what I have to do. That's right. So one of the one of the things, one of the opportunities I had in my residency early on was attending elder meetings, mm-hmm. uh, and I would keep minutes at those meetings, but now there is an official title to go along with That's that right. of the clerk role. That's right. Uh, which, obviously, I won't fill that role forever and always, so can, can you talk about that role and its inclusion in the bylaws?
1: Right. Uh, in the initial foundational documents that the bylaws... Um, had, in terms of a vision, that most of Trinity's official business occurred in the Governance Board, but there still were like a couple specific things that required elder votes, but we didn't have as uh, formal of a process like the Governance Board has to take minutes to document uh, voting records and that sort of thing. And typically what we would essentially do in those cases is we would always do uh, electronic votes because it's um, one of the more objective ways that we can record who voted and we can take take it into a, a pdf or whatever uh, but now we're, we're specifically adding roles within the council of elders and that's because there there's business that is, is going to carry over from how the bylaws have always been but we're also adding membership process and care more explicitly to uh, that role and so this was a formal way of like saying that somebody either on the elder council or the elder culture can call somebody who's not officially part of the council but can serve in that capacity in a non-voting way to take minutes and then the clerk would work with our administrative staff and then the recorder for the governance board to make sure the things that we're required to document and keep track of are nice and tidy in our record books. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you probably saw there, there's a clerk role, and we're also adding moderator, which is default of whoever the lead pastor is, but it also gives some flexibility that it doesn't have to be. We can delegate the role of moderator, which a moderator in church polity talk is essentially the person who um, sets the agenda for elder meetings and, and facilitates those meetings as well. So those are two roles for the Council of Elders that have never been specified in the, in the bylaws but now we're in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, my last question and this one might be more obvious because when we recite the membership creed in the future it'll sound a little different because there were two additions that got yes. made. Um, can you talk about those additions off the top of your head?
1: Yes, I can. Uh, so the membership covenant, uh, we, we initially got that from a, a church in Dubai is where we got that. And it's the the document that all covenant members look at every year to say, we're re-upping our membership and we're agreeing to this. And essentially throughout the document it's paraphrasing scripture, which it continues to do. And we added two new clauses sections that focus on... Um, essentially service and justice, and the other one would be a stewardship, um, vocation. And the reason we're adding those is that looking over that membership covenant in the past, uh, it didn't have language that reflected our, our all five of our church practices. So worship, witness, fellowship, stewardship, and service. So the stewardship and service were the two that were kind of missing from the membership covenant there was not language about that and so that's why we're adding it because those really sync well with what our practices are and, and unpack them a little bit more and as you see in the language is it is very close to uh the scriptures that we cite at the end of those those sections it's essentially using language from those scriptures and and putting it into our membership covenant
0: mm-hmm. well those are all the questions that i had about the bylaws so are there any Topics or changes that you wanted to cover that we have not addressed. yet.
1: brother The only thing and this has been covered in email, but it's good to highlight again Why are we doing this just in case folks have not heard that and really the occasion that set it off was our denomination We're part of Evangelical Free Church of America they changed um, well dropped a word from their statement of faith Mm. and that requires all the churches that are part of and fellowship with the EFCA to update their own Constitution and bylaws if it's the old statement and so that was us so we had the old language and so we wanted to update that and that requires a 75% vote of the entire uh, Covenant members to pass so really high threshold so we figured that since that had such a high threshold uh, if there's other things to update and make sure that's in sync with, with current practice and the culture of Trinity, now is the time to do it. So that's why we're doing both of them at the same time. And the, the change was, the statement of faith used to have the belief, the doctrine of premillennialism in there, uh, and now that has been dropped from there. I have a sermon on this from when this all went down, but that's essentially what changed. And you'll note in the Constitution that the way we're reflecting that change is we no longer quote the whole statement of faith, but we simply reference it now in that section. So we say that we're a church that affirms the Apostles of Nicene Creed, the EFCA statement of faith, and then the confessional statement theological vision from the Gospel Coalition. And then the bylaws, of course, detail how different levels of leadership Engage those documents, and in what way? Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Uh, you said you have until four. At the time we're recording this, it's three thirty-five. So, do you want to spend the next twenty-five minutes explaining pre-millennial uh, <laughs> to us?
1: Unfortunately, it'd probably take longer than that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, if I really were to force myself to like like uh, uh, think about it, it's a doctrine that details how exactly God is going to wrap up history. And uh, there's this passage in Revelation, Revelation 20, and it's a specific interpretation of that text that says there's going to be this literal kingdom that uh, could last approximately a thousand years, sometimes literally a thousand years, depending on what type of premillennial um, person you are. Uh, and that's in um, contrast to the other two position, which is postmillennial, that says, well the, that kingdom will happen uh, after, or post-millennial, so that's just the literal opposite of pre, and then amillennial says there's no kingdom, there's no literal millennial kingdom, and so they essentially, view Revelation 20 as happening now, mm-hmm. that the cross inaugurated in the, this millennial kingdom, and then when Jesus comes back, he just comes back, where okay. pre will say, um, things are gonna go down before he comes back and there will be some type of literal earthly kingdom before the new heavens and earth. Postmillennial folks say that the church will usher in the millennial kingdom and then Christ will return after that. So it's very optimistic. Um, so I guess if I were to really boil it down, it's the more pessimistic one is uh, pre-millennial, post-millennial is optimistic. And I, I guess the millennials will say they're realists. Um, <laughs> But, and I would say most people at Trinity would call themselves pan-millennial, which is all pans out, and why are we having a debate about this? <laughs> which is precisely the reason it was dropped, because yeah. this is this is definitely one of those issues that Christians of, of good faith can divide over.
0: That, that was a much more thoughtful and thorough answer that I was hoping <laughs> for. So that,
1: that was perfect. Well, it's, it, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, if somebody's coming in um, and they were never here for that discussion that happened years ago, it's... it's a they can listen to the end of this and get a little bit of a review on. Yeah. Okay, the Free Church dropped premillennialism. What does that mean? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not like this central doctrine that we should be like dying on a hill. No, a no, it's it's
1: something that we wouldn't break fellowship with the Free Church um, because they did this to the statement of faith. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, sweet. Well, the vote on the bylaws happens at our annual celebration on the twenty-sixth. Um, so looking forward to that and yeah. looking forward to hanging out with you and, and the rest of the members there. Yeah. And for those
1: of you tuning in, um, uh, David here is one of the MCs that's, uh, organizing it. So, uh, rumor has it you're in for a treat cause there's going to be, uh, quite a bit of shenanigans that will happen at this meeting. We're, we're
0: not allowed to talk about that, but there, there could be. There could, there, be, there could be, there could be,
1: there could be, be. There, there could be.
0: Gird your Yeah. That's right. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thank you, Brian, for joining and, uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Sounds good.